Without the cross, there would be no Easter. Please have a seat. My name is Mike Mariner, one of the pastors. Friday, we remembered that darkest day in history when the Son of God was betrayed with a kiss, mocked, spit upon, falsely accused, crucified unto death. On Friday, Satan believed he had won a great victory, but his victory was short-lived. When the mob came to arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus told them, this is your hour and the power of darkness. See, Jesus knew God has given evil an opportunity to do its worst, but their hour will be short-lived. In just a few short days, it will be my hour. And on Resurrection Sunday, Jesus burst from the grave, defeating the power of sin and death. Evil's hour of power has come and gone, and Jesus' hour has come. It is, and it will be forever and ever more. Easter. The hope of the resurrection of the dead. That's what we are celebrating today. We are celebrating the fact that 2,000 years ago, God brought dead Jesus back to life, and he is alive today, reigning at the right hand of the Father. Someday he shall return, and when he returns, he will give life to our mortal bodies. We, too, will rise from the dead to live forever with God and each other. Easter is all about the resurrection of the dead. A number of years ago, I celebrated Easter on Cape Cod, and the preacher that day did not believe Jesus had actually risen from the dead. And so, as you can imagine, he was a little uh, uncomfortable preaching an Easter message, and he kept saying, it's a mystery. It's a mystery. And it was all I could do not to just jump up out of my seat and and proclaim, it's not a mystery, it's a historical fact that animates our lives with hope today. Even the non-Christian we had brought to Easter walked out and said, I don't think that preacher believes Jesus actually is alive. I'm like, nope. Easter, the hope of Easter is the hope of the resurrection. What God has already done for Jesus, he will do for us. And I just want to go on record proclaiming that here at Clearwater Church, we believe in a actual resurrection of the dead. This isn't just a a fairy tale, a fable, a nice story that we tell each other, but we don't actually really believe it will happen. We believe in a literal resurrection of the dead. That's why Easter is so precious to us. Turn in your Bibles, if you have them with you, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a text you want to know about in the Bible. It's the most exhaustive discussion of the resurrection in the Bible. The Apostle Paul has written a letter to the church in Colossae. Uh, no, in Corinth, I'm sorry, a church in Corinth. And apparently there are some people in the church who are teaching that the resurrection 
has either already happened or there won't be a resurrection. And it is disturbing the, uh, the faith of the Christians in the church. And so Paul writes this letter in part to correct this false teaching, to ensure the Christians in Corinth that God raised Jesus from the dead, and when Christ returns, he will raise us from the dead. See, Paul understands that if you remove the resurrection from Christianity, it loses its power to save. It is a, a core doctrine of the Christian faith. And I know there are people who, who will say, but, but wait a second, wait a second. You know, Christianity is still meaningful, even if you don't believe in an actual resurrection of the dead. Uh, it gives you a good moral compass. It, it focuses on love. It has great community. Christianity offers a lot. You don't have to actually believe in this idea that God raised Jesus from the dead and that will someday rise from the dead. There's still benefits to being a Christian. And, and, and it's true. Christianity offers a lot, and Christianity does make this life better, but... It's not what, it's not the real hope of the Christian faith. The real hope of the Christian faith is that Jesus will conquer the power of sin and death in our lives. And so we do not want to settle for Christianity light and Easter light. We want the real thing, the whole thing. All that Christ has come to give us. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying starting in verse 14. Listen, guys, it's my preamble. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he didn't raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, underline this, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. What's the point of being a Christian? Sin still has you under its verdict of death. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of all people most to be pitied. And that's certainly true of the Apostle Paul who was enduring great persecution, suffering, self-denial for the sake of the gospel. And he's like, look, the life I am living does not make sense unless there's a resurrection from the dead. Unless I'm going to get all of eternity to be rewarded by God and to enjoy you know, real, full life. So... <clears throat> If the Christianity that, that you have is all about this world, you don't have the real Christianity. And so you're missing out. That's, that's my point. You're missing out. God offers salvation from sin and the consequence of death. Don't leave that on the table and, and just have Christianity light. So look now at the first verse of the chapter. Now I would remind you brothers. Of the gospel I preached to you. So 
Paul had come, he had, he had evangelized in Corinth and set up a church and he's gone and now he's hearing that, that the gospel that he had preached and that the people had believed in is being altered by these false teachers. And that's very concerning to Paul. I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In other words, don't give up the gospel that I proclaimed to you for another gospel, which would be a false gospel, which would not, in fact, save you. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And then he uh, distills the Christian message down to its essentials. And there aren't many of them, but you got to hold on to all of them. Number one, that Christ died for our sins. So the doctrine of the substitutionary atonement of Christ. We sinned. The penalty for our sin is death. Christ took the penalty for our sin upon himself. He died on the cross to pay for our sins so that we could be forgiven. Number two, in accordance with the scriptures, Jesus fulfilled God's plan and purposes that he had uh, foretold through the prophets many times over hundreds of years. That he was buried... Jesus truly died. He was stone cold dead. Number four, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Resurrection from the dead. Number five, then he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. They're eyewitnesses. You can go interrogate them if you want to. This was not now. This was back then. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all to one, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. That's the Christian gospel. And central to that gospel is the resurrection of the dead. Christ brought Jesus back from the dead, and someday he will bring us back from the dead as well. If you remove the resurrection from the gospel, you have changed the gospel. And now you are believing in something that will not actually save you. And I say this because uh, I'm concerned that there are many professing Christians. They self-identify as Christian. They come to church, but they don't hold to historic Christian teaching. They have redefined the Christian good news. And they just, uh, their Christianity does not believe in an actual personal God who raised Jesus from the dead and that Jesus is alive and reigning at the right hand of the Father and will someday return and bring us back to life. That's just too outlandish. Uh, You know, if they were to admit that they believe that kind of stuff, then they would get a lot more blowback from their friends and family. And so their Christianity is Christianity light, and it doesn't save them. It doesn't save them from sin and the consequence of death. And I'm concerned about that because then what's the point of Easter? 
Why be a Christian? That's Paul's point. If in this life only we have hope, we should be pitied. The Christian life doesn't make sense without eternal life. It's, with, it's when we believe that we will rise from the dead and live forever with God and each other that the self-denial and the sacrifice makes sense in this life. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen in sleep. The Apostle Paul is looking down the corridor of time and he's envisioning the great host of, of resurrected uh, folks and, and he, he's viewing it as a giant harvest. And he said, Jesus was the first fruits. He, he rose first and then after a, a time, the rest of us. For as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So when will the Christian get a resurrected body? When Christ returns. And who will get a resurrected body? All, all humans who have ever lived... No, those who belong to Christ. The good news of Easter is for everyone. But the big question of Easter is, do I belong to Jesus? The, the gospel goes out to the whole world. Everyone is invited to partake but it is only those who belong to Jesus who will rise from the dead when Christ returns to claim his own. You want to be in that group. And so the question of Easter is, do I belong to Jesus? How can I know? Well, it's easy. Have you given ownership of your life to Jesus? You belong to Jesus when you hand over ownership of your life to him. And what you're saying is you're saying, Jesus, I want what you offer your follower. And apparently the condition to get that is to surrender my will to you. To get off the throne of my life and invite you to sit on it and rule. I want to belong to you because I want to be risen. I want to rise from the dead someday. And so here I am. I am. I'm now yours. And you know if you've done that because it is a monumental act of the will. You come to the conclusion that you want to live forever. You want to benefit from what Christ has done. And so you say, I, I grant my life to you. You become a Lord. You call the shots. You are my Savior. And so there's no question as to whether or not you've done that. You know if you've done that. Now, the rest of our lives, it's a process of day by day giving control of our lives to the Lord. We have to re kind of fight that battle of the will and we give more 
real estate of our lives over to the Lord more and more and more. It's called the process of sanctification, and we fail, and so we have to confess and find forgiveness and cleansing and get back up on the horse and ask the Spirit of God to help us, and that's a process. But every relationship has a beginning, and you know whether or not you have entered into that relationship with Jesus where you have granted him ownership of your life. And, and yes, the process of becoming like Christ is like the stock market. Um, but, but if you have, if you have genuinely said, I belong to you, Jesus, I grant you ownership of my life. God sees that he knows that and he honors that. So the apostle John tells us in first John chapter one, verse 12, but to as many as received him who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So, have you given ownership of your life over to Jesus Christ? If you have, then you can be sure that when he returns, he's going to give life to your mortal body. He is going to raise you from the dead so that you can hang out with him and with your fellow believers for all eternity. Do you belong to Jesus? Don't go home today without having that question Answered, And I'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. Let me talk a bit about the hope. We talk about uh, having the hope of the resurrection animating our lives all year long. What do we mean by the hope? Uh, it's very important to understand that we're not talking about fingers crossed Eyes closed, grimacy, wishful thinking. Oh, it's super hard to believe it would happen because it's never happened before and I've never seen it happen anywhere around. But Hail Mary, passive belief, I'm going to hope. I'm going to just hope that maybe I get to rise from the dead. That's not Christian hope. Christian hope is an assurance rooted in the fact that God has already done it. So he's shown that he can and that he will, and he promises, and God always fulfills his promises, he promises to do it for us someday. This is why Christians uh, defend so vehemently the historic resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Uh, it's not a fairy tale. We believe that you know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus died, was buried, you know, dead for three days, and then God brought him back to life. Why is that so important? It's so important because it shows that God can do it, which gives us great confidence that he will do it since he's promised it, that he would do the same thing he did for Jesus for us. And so when we say we have the hope of eternal life, it's not fingers crossed wishful thinking. It's God did that in time and space 2,000 years ago, and uh, the Bible gives testimony and of uh, people. Listen, the apostles, they were scaredy cats running away from the Roman soldiers until after they saw Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Then they went into the world proclaiming Jesus is risen from the dead, and they got killed for their, for their uh, testimony. And they refused to recant. Why? Because they now didn't fear death the way they had before they saw the risen Lord Jesus. Now they believed, we believe, God raised Jesus from the dead. He promises to raise us from the dead if we remain faithful to 
you know, the gospel, and, and they died because they believed in a resurrection from the dead. God is going to do for us what he has already done for Jesus. So our assurance, our hope is an assurance rooted in a, a historical past action and the promise of God. Now, if you do belong to Jesus, and I pray that you do, if you do belong to Jesus, uh, I want you to know that you've got a better body coming. A better body coming. Now, I kind of like this body. Check this thing out. I just did a 50K tour of Anchorage. <laughs> this is as good as it gets for me. This is my peak of the year. Yes, thank you. And, uh, but this body, as great as it is, it's got some flaws, doesn't it? Uh, it gets weak and tired, and it can get sick, and it's uh, quite easily tempted by sin, and eventually it will die. But the Bible tells us is the resurrected body is going to be a lot better. It's going to be a lot better. Look at verse 42. Now, Paul has, uh, he has just given an illustration where he said, uh, think about a seed that goes into the ground, it dies, and then after a little bit of time, all of a sudden this you know, plant starts growing up or a tree starts growing up. And you might, there's continuity. It, the seed becomes the plant. Uh, and he said, that's, it's, this resurrected body is like that. Your earthly body goes into the ground, and after a time it comes out, and it looks very different. Uh, it's the same you, and you're now inhabiting a body, but it's, it's different and it's better. Verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, the body, the earthly body that dies, what is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. This body breaks down and dies. The resurrected body will never uh, perish. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. Ugh. We feel that, don't we? And this is so encouraging to the Christian. when Because... For almost all of us, the body will start to break down. And many Christians end their lives and their body is withered down to virtually nothing. And they, they can't wait for that, that day when they're going to rise again. Uh, and there's strength, right? It's raised, it's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It's not morally weak. It's not physically weak any longer. It is sown a natural body, and it's raised a spiritual body. It doesn't mean we're disembodied. It means the resurrected body is tailor-made for the new age, the new heaven, the new earth, and to be with God. My pops, my dad's dad, uh, I was very close to pops. Great man, great godly man, a lot of influence in my life. He died when I was in seminary. Uh, I was in Chicago at the time, and, and he was in the hospital in Ohio. And so I drove up to see him in his last days. And so I read scripture to him. I prayed to him. And then it came time for me to go back to school. And I knew I wasn't going to see Pops again 
uh, in this life. And so I talked to him. He was not, he was not able to talk at the time. Uh, and I wasn't 100% sure he could understand me until after, uh, until the end of my, my talk. And I just said, Pops, I love you. I'm, I'm grieved that I'm not going to have you in my life anymore here on earth because I, I, we're not going to see each other again. I know that. But this isn't goodbye forever. It's goodbye for right now because I know that we are going to see each other again and you're not going to be sick. You're going to have a, a new body. You're going to be fully healthy and we're going to get to spend all of eternity together with the God whom we love. And tears began to roll down my pops' cheeks. And I just hugged him and, and went back to seminary and he died if, um, just a day or two later. Now, I did, when I said those words to Pops, they weren't false words that just sound good in the moment. I believed it. And I still believe it. I truly believe, when I looked at my Pops, I truly believed, I'm going to see you again. This is not goodbye forever. It's goodbye for now. But we will be together again for all eternity in a resurrected body. We're going to be healthy it's going to be fun. We're going to continue to, to know and relate to each other for all eternity. Today I'm wearing uh, Rob's tie. I wear this. This is my Easter tie, and I got it at my dear friend Rob's funeral. His wife gave it to his close friends. And uh, just happened to be purple. <laughs> and I wear this on Easter to remind myself I'm going to see Rob again someday. And he's going to be healthy. And it's going to be good. That's the hope of Easter. It's, it's, it's such an incredible truth. It's almost hard to believe. I don't think we would believe it if God hadn't already done it and promised, it, promised us it was going to happen. Sometimes things are so good to be, you know, they almost sound too good to be true. But this one's not. It's backed by the love of God. I want you to look now at the very last verse in chapter 15. So this is a pretty long chapter. Paul has been uh, defending the historical truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the, the fact that when Christ returns, the Christians are going to be raised from the dead. Um, this whole chapter has been defending that core doctrine of the Christian faith. And now he comes, final verse, and he gives us the, the practical application. Therefore, when you read in the Bible, a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? And it's telling us, here's the practical application, the practical implication of the fact that we will rise someday from the dead. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable in your faith. Steadfast uh, comes from the word to sit down. Just be seated in, in your faith. Be immovable. Don't let anybody knock you off point. See, I, I proclaim to you the gospel, the Christian gospel, and people are trying to change it. I know that. But I want you, you need to believe in the resurrection of the dead, 
and sit in that and hold to that. Don't let anybody move you. Don't let anybody shake you from that faith. The Corinthian Christians lived in a city totally out of touch with uh, Christian worldview and ethic and everything else. It was a hedonistic city. It was known for its sexual promiscuity. Uh, It was a city full of idolatry. Uh, Christians were the minority. Their worldview, their religious beliefs, their ethic was uh, very much out of step with the dominant culture. And and what happens when uh, when you are in the minority in your belief? You get pressured by the dominant culture to be more like they are. And you know the Christians felt that. They felt it from family and friends and in their workplaces. They were misunderstood and they were maligned and they were ostracized. And sometimes the government got involved and there was full-on persecution. And when that happens, the tendency is to back away from your Christian faith or to water it down so that it's more appealing to uh, the secular culture around you. Listen, here in America, uh, society is moving farther and farther into secularism. Historic Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, Biblical Christianity is increasingly at odds with the dominant culture. Our our biblically-based ethic is increasingly at odds with dominant culture. Our worldview, our, our religious beliefs. And so... If you cling to historic Christian faith, you're going to find yourself increasingly misunderstood, persecuted, ostracized, maligned, right? And when that happens, the tendency is to, uh, the temptation is to back away from historic Christianity or to alter it so that it is less offensive uh, to the world around us. But here's what Paul's telling the Corinthians, and here's what he's telling us. Resurrection from the dead is at stake. Do not give up your belief in the Christian gospel, because you you could lose eternal life. And it's, it's worth it to suffer and to deny self, and it's worth, it's worth it to be persecuted when you can gain resurrection from the dead. The stakes are way too high. Uh, the payoff is way too big. So be steadfast, immovable in your faith. Cling to your, your, the, the biblical gospel. Don't back away from it. Don't water it down. Remain faithful to what? I taught you, which is the, teach, the, the gospel according to the apostles, which has been recorded for us in God's word. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's the, the, the next application, which is abound in the work of the Lord. Uh, make sure you don't spend all your time and energy and attention and resources building your kingdom here on earth because this is temporary. 
you're an eternal creature. You're going to live forever. And so you want to do the things that are significant for all eternity, the things that get God's attention and for which God will reward you for all eternity. And so as I was preparing today's message, this is the one that really hit me personally. And I look back this last year with the pandemic, and, and I had to ask myself, have I been abounding in the work of the Lord this last year? Or have I, has the pandemic given me a rationalization to sort of back off a bit from doing the work of the Lord, go in a bit more into maintenance mode, and focus on staying healthy and, uh, and putting my affairs in order in this world? And so what, I have been, what I'm personally convicted of uh, today is that I want to get back to abounding in the work of the Lord. Rooted, rooted in a uh, confident belief that there's a resurrection of the dead happening. And, and some of that comes toward a, 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 a bit too much apathy toward those around me. If I really believe that people are going to go to heaven or to hell and that resurrection from the dead can be gained or lost... Why am I not more aggressive, intentional, creative about uh, telling my friends and neighbors and coworkers, classmates that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And it is labor. <laughs> it's labor. And it uses that word for a reason. Uh, we have to we have to be intentional about doing it it's it's tiresome it takes work but there's a big payoff so three big takeaways that i see from this text two are for the person who already belongs to the lord and the last one is uh for the non-christian and so the first one is um be steadfast, immovable in your faith. Do not uh, abandon historic Christianity. Do not water down or replace the gospel as it was given to us by the apostles and is contained in the word of God. Because Christianity light doesn't save you. You will not, uh, it's, you're not going to be raised from the dead uh, if you don't embrace the full gospel as given to us. So resist that impulse. Um, secondly, be wrestling with the question, what does abounding in the work of the Lord look like for you? And it will look different for you than it does for me. Situations are different. But you can abound in the Lord. Uh, you know, even if all you can do is pray because you have no, you know, no ability to get out and do, you can still pray. And that's the work of the Lord. Work of the Lord is extremely broad, as Pastor James mentioned last week. Uh, it is anything that seeks to have the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We're told, Lord, kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We open our eyes, look around, where is it not being done on earth as it is in heaven? And get about seeking to make that change, and that's the work of the Lord. So are you abounding in the work of the Lord? What would need to change uh, in your life for that to happen? And then finally, for the non-Christian, you know, maybe somebody drug you here, but it's Easter. And 
and Easter is awesome. It's the greatest. There's such an amazing gift to be had, the gift of eternal life. It's available to us in Jesus Christ, but you get it when you give your ownership of your life over to the Lord and you make him your uh, savior and your Lord. Will you do that today? And I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you want to do that. There are no magical words. There's no formula. Uh, the Bible just says if you repent of your sins and you put your faith in, his, in God's son, Jesus Christ, uh, he will make you his own. He'll honor that. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer if you want to pray after me. God sees your heart, and if you mean it, then he will honor that, and you will belong to Jesus and benefit from the resurrection. So pray with me. Jesus, I want to belong to you. When you return, I want you to bring me back from the dead. Give me a resurrected body. I want to live forever with you. And so right now, I get off the throne of my life, and I say, here I am. You may have ownership. You may lead me. You may call the shots in my life. I'll follow you for the rest of my life, all the way up into heaven. I want a relationship with you, God. And so if you pray something like that, God sees your heart. And he'll honor that. You belong to Jesus. When he comes, he'll bring you back from the dead. If you did pray that today, I want to get a book in your hands. Uh, it's called What You Need to Know About Salvation by Max Anders. And this is a good book. Uh, it, it'll help you understand you know, what you have done theologically. And it talks about uh, next steps in following Jesus. And so this is a free book. Pastor James and I uh, have a number of them. We'd like to give them, get them into your hands. Better yet, if you're willing, um, I'd love to meet with you. Uh, as you read this book, talk about this. We call that, you know, discipleship. I'll talk to you about, you know, what it looks like to begin following Jesus. This, this book would be a great uh, tool to start that process with. Okay, so uh, at the end of the service, come find me or find Pastor James and we'll get you one of these books. Thank you, and happy Easter.